0: Today's episode of Speak LA, the podcast, is sponsored by Actors Connection. But before we begin, one of the things we most often hear from our
1: listeners is how hard it is to find an agent. If this is something that you are struggling with, go to ispeakla.com and download our free agent guide today. There's absolutely no shame in not having an agent, but we really want to help you get one. So just go to ispeakla.com and grab your free agent guide now. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> Throws me every time, every time. Hey, Jen, oh, oh, boy. I'm excited to talk to I you. I know, and I'm excited, excited to
0: talk to Maria. I know, me too. She, um, you know, I've been wanting to do a podcast for a long time where we get to talk to somebody who has a lot of experience with musical theater, because I know that's something that a lot of young up-and-comers you know, are interested in pursuing. And um, not only does Marita have a ton of experience in film and television, but she also, you know, her background is, um, is that of musical theater. So uh, yeah, I think it's going to be great. She's
1: been in Chicago, Hair, Miss Saigon, right? To name name a a few. few. Yeah. I, I have to say, I, I love musicals. Me too. So much. So to think of anyone who's been on a national tour is just sort
0: of. I know you're like a little bit starstruck. I'm a little <laughs> starstruck. Tell <laughs> me about you while we wait. What have you been doing? What have you been up to? Um. Well,
1: you know, I did something very brave for myself. Okay. I went repelling Oh, um, you
0: know I I mean, like I've heard of it, but I'm not exactly sure. So tell me.
1: Yeah, I wasn't sure okay. myself when I said yes to it. But essentially, and I'm, by the way, I, just for all of you people who do climb mountains, like, excuse the fact that I don't actually know the terms to any <laughs> of this. But <laughs> you are attached to a rope and you you go over the side of a cliff uh-huh. and you basically
0: go down on a rope. Oh, and I did repelling. Yes. repelling. Okay. So you didn't do the climbing yeah. up part, you just did the, climb, the repelling down I did part. That. <laughs> I just did the down part. <laughs> I went to the
1: top, and I were went you down. driven?
0: You were driven um, to the top?
1: Oh <laughs> <laughs> Wow, Jen, you are really making me sound quite lazy right now. Um, no, I actually walked. My oh, okay, tissue. okay. Up. I was going to say my house okay. up to the top of the mountain. <laughs> um, but I, I will say that I'm very afraid of me heights. too. Like, very, very, too. very, deathly afraid. Um, so I kind of signed up doing this, being like, I don't know what's going to happen. You
0: face the fear. Um,
1: I faced the fear, and it was amazing. And I just felt like a
0: badass. Yeah.
1: Like, I felt very empowered and proud of myself. And then I, I went down one cliff. Uh-huh. I, I'm calling it uh-huh. a cliff. I don't know if that's <laughs> the right word for it. And then I went down five waterfalls. Wow.
0: Five. Yeah,
1: one was 75 feet. Tall. Uh I think that's the yeah And I was I was slipping and sliding all the way down and I was cold and I'm not gonna lie, kind of miserable, but also super proud of myself.
0: That's cool. Just
1: never thought I would tell you that. Next
0: I think you have to jump out of an airplane.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That I will never do. (laughs) Ever. (laughs)
0: Nope.
1: (laughs) How old were you when you moved to LA? 23.
2: Where did you move from? New York City. Did you know anyone when you first came here? I did. I had a boyfriend and my aunt and uncle. How much money did you have when you first came to LA? (laughs) 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 (laughs)
1: $5,000. Where did you live when you first got here?
2: Um, on Franklin in Hollywood at the bottom of the Runyon Canyon hike. I love that area.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. What was your first job in L.A.? My first acting job or my first? No, your first just job, your first way to make money. Um,
2: teaching,
0: teaching dance. Ah, cool. Of course. What was your initial impression of L.A.? Wild. Hmm. And how many years of living in L.A. did it take before you started to feel like it was your home? Ten years. Yeah. Wow. That's a long time. And if you had to sum L.A. up, I mean, you already said wild, so that can be your word if you want. But if you had to sum it up in one word, what would that one word be? Possibility. Oh, possibility. I love that. I, I even love, love that word. Possibility. Me too.
1: It's
2: perfect.
0: Yeah, Dad's hand. <laughs> Marita, oh my God, I am so happy you're here today. We have been wanting to do this with you for a while. Yeah. Hello, oh, thank you. Um, I'm
1: really, really looking forward to talking with you today.
0: I am too. I am too. So thanks for thanks for being here. And I'd love to start at the beginning. I'd love to hear how you first got interested in acting like how old were you and was there you know like that magic moment that actors sometimes talk about when you really thought this is what I want to do with my life
2: um I started as a dancer in ballet like I think a lot of actors do and I didn't really put it together fully till I um I my parents showed me West Side Story Wow, and I was really little. I, I inappropriate to see that when you're four, <laughs> and and my parents told me the lady who was playing Anita in West Side Story was the same lady I liked on Electric Company, which was this kids show on, like after Sesame Street or something. And it was Rita Moreno. Love her, and and I saw that she was funny, and she sang, and she danced, and she she was just everything. And and then my parents said she was Puerto Rican. And I was like, Oh, that's kinda like us. We're from a US we were we're from a former US territory and we're island people and we have, we're Spanishy and and um and then there's this little part of me that went, Hey, I think I could maybe do this if Rita Moreno can do this.
0: That's amazing. I love that you have a specific um person. That's so cool. Oh yeah. That's so cool! Oh yeah, so little I, I talked to her. Yes. <laughs> wait, wait! You talk yeah. to her?
2: Well, like I would like just talk. You know, like kids. Like I would be like, "Hey, should I, should I take this dance class?" Like, and I. Wow! <laughs> like, wow! As a kid. I know, really loopy. That's way too revelatory.
0: It's not a movie. No, can I tell you? There's something that's really, um, really insightful about that. Camille, do you remember? I can't. I forget who it was that we interviewed, but somebody had a thing where they said they they play a game called "What Would Somebody Do?" You know, like the WW. Um, so you, you, and they said like, you pick your, you know, so like if your you know, idol is Meryl Streep or whatever you go, what would Meryl do? Or what would, and then that helps you to sort of as an actor. So that was yours at a young age. Yes. (laughs) I love it.
1: I think it was DeWan Johnson, actually. So who said that? Yeah. So definitely check, check that out. And I just want to say Rita Moreno. I mean, like, you couldn't have picked a more amazing person to have conversations with. <laughs> like she's so phenomenal like she's an incredible actress so did you start so you started dancing and you and talking to Rita who I want to talk yeah. to as well um and then um in New York and and how did that progress for you did you kind of go in when did the acting kind of start and you, you combine that because I know you've done so much musical theater
2: as well. So how, how did that kind of fit into the the acting? Well I realized with dance that my strength as a dancer was storytelling. And um and even as a dancer I was funny. Like, I would get dance parts because I told the best story and I had the most personality. Um, but not necessarily because I was technically the best dancer. I felt like I was acting like a dancer the whole time that <laughs> I was dancing. And, and dance is so clear. Like, there's always a beginning, middle, and end. So it just seemed like it, it always translated.
0: I was like, oh, we could dance and talk. Okay. It's just part of dancing. So that's how you got into musical theater. So you started, so you did your ba- your ballet training went for like your childhood until, wh- like what? Did, when did you start? Because I know you're a great singer too. Like when did you start, when did that all start coming together?
2: Um, well, I studied ballet at the Baltimore Ballet School, uh, which but there is no more Baltimore Ballet. And it was a branch. Then they, they were working in conjunction with Washington Ballet in Washington, D.C., so I studied there, it was very like strict, bunhead ballet school. Um, and then that singing thing kept coming up and I sang in church and um, in community things. And I'd always get the solos, um, much to my amazement but I was always loud and, <laughs> and had a lot of energy when when I needed to be. And then I um, was in bands in, um, in high school, like rock bands and punk rock bands. And I sang at the Fudgery, which is a fudge place in the Baltimore Inner Harbor, where you had to make fudge and sing R&B music. Um, And change the lyrics to fudge songs. Um, (laughs) And um, yeah, and then I did musicals in high school. And then I looked into college and I realized that I wanted to study theater, but musical theater like seemed just the most magical to me. And at the time, there were only a few schools that did that. There now, there's like a million. Everybody has a musical theater department. But back then, there were only a few. And I realized I was like, well, I don't really know what I'm doing. And um, once I started auditioning for the schools, I realized very quickly, oh, these kids all went to some place called French Woods, and they had like Broadway coaches, and I was like singing, making fun in <laughs> <harbor>. <laughs> like, in like and playing bass guitar and like a punk band. Like, it just, I was like, I am really sorely lacking in training and I need to know what I'm doing if this is going to be sustainable. So, yeah, so I, I got my uh, BFA in musical theater from Syracuse and that was so great and I loved it there. And um, yeah, and then it's sort of like they give you this easy track to go right to New York. They sort of prep you to be um, a musical theater actor or a stage actor. And um, yeah, then I just started doing stuff in New York and it was great. It was mostly musical theater. That was my, my wheelhouse.
0: What I love so much about that story, I mean I love a lot of things, but what I love is that you felt like you were the kid when you were auditioning that everybody else had, you know, the proper training and you felt like you had not because I think that, you know, even though maybe there were a handful that that had been lucky enough to have parents that knew what to do, I think the majority of us, you know, that come into this business don't have parents that know where to send us and kids certainly don't know where to go and we all feel like misfits and we all feel you know at some point like we're not doing it right or like we didn't train at the right place or so I I just think that's such a great thing to share so that you know some kid that's in Idaho listening right now maybe you know is thinking like Thank God, because everybody thinks everybody else knows and that we're the only ones that don't know. So I, I, love, I love that you share that. Um, I'd love to hear what it was like when you first got to New York. Like, how hard was it? And, you know, how, how, how challenging is that New York scene um, in terms of musical theater?
2: It was, even then, it was highly competitive. And you were sort of dumped in with the people who had been in the system for a while. That were just like chorus Broadway people, and then all the the few kids who came from these fancy schools that were all auditioning for musicals. Um, and then it was a grind. like back then, you would get your backstage, <laughs> like the actual paper mm-hmm. you'd like wait yeah. for the paper to come out, and you'd mark which auditions you were going to go to. And um I was lucky enough that Syracuse had a showcase, and i I got an agent. So I was juggling agent auditions, and then all the Broadway open calls. Cause you would go to everything. We just audition for everything. You'd have your little rolling suitcase and your book of music and your dance shoes. And um, and we made a little map for each other of where all the bathrooms were, like where you can <laughs> go to the bathroom <laughs> in Manhattan. <laughs> oh, wow. and, um, so you had to like kind of plan your whole day around these auditions and like jumping on the train and going uptown and then everybody was either doing theater at night or was like working restaurant jobs at night, or um, we all worked on this boat, the Spirit of New York, which like just went around the harbor <laughs> and you served cocktails and like danced like halfway through to like this Gloria Estefan song, <laughs> and and it was it was hard because it was so expensive to live there, um, and we all lived in this place of getting so close to so many big parts and then not getting them. And getting some of them, but but it was very emotional yeah. the whole the whole time.
1: Was there something that you uh told yourself in that just talking about that um getting close to a part and not getting it and then what did you tell yourself to keep going? This
2: I I like kept this is something that I'm I'm really Oh god, I don't think I've ever told anybody I did this. I wrote what I wanted my resume to look like and I stuck it on my wall. Wow. And I would look at that. And 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 I would convince myself that was true. And that sort of kept me going with all of this. And it's before all that mindset stuff and Tony Robbins and all of that. I just I just did that. And um, and then I would, again, like talking to my imaginary people, I would like play Debbie Allen's encouragement speech from Fame, from the TV show, Fame. <laughs> that's, a, that's an awesome <laughs> speech, for sure. <laughs> and I would play it in my head and I pretend she was talking to me. And And it wasn't so much the fame, it was just like getting to do your thing. Mm. It's like touching the sun. That's like, it's so cool. Yeah, (laughs) that is so
1: cool. You know, it's, it's, it is, it is, it's a really, it's so, it's such a strange profession that we're in where you, you have to believe, but you are just constantly being told no. And so to find these, these ways in which you can hold on to your belief, it's really, it's really important. And I, and you just listed so many, you know, Finding someone that you really admired, Rita Moreno, and talking to her, I think it's brilliant. And then having the resume, and then listening to the fame speech, and just kind of surrounding yourself with what it was you were expecting in your life. That is really cool. I'd love to hear, when you you move to uh, Hollywood, to L.A., did you find that the competition and the expectation in Hollywood was similar to what you had experienced in New York or was it very much a change of scenery in that regard
2: for you? It was a change because in New York, it was it, at the time, it was a smaller market. Now New York, I think, has opened up a lot. But we all did everything in New York. It seemed like people sang and danced and acted and were on TV and film and it, and did theater, it was all connected. And then when I first came to LA, it seemed like people were in their little categories. Like these people are actors and they only do film and TV. And these people, some people I ran into did theater and some people were dancers, voiceover. It was just all niched out. And and I was like, oh, I thought we had to do everything. And I remember one of my first auditions here, oh gosh, so long ago, it was, um for, they are doing that Cinderella musical, like it was like a TV movie musical. And my agent, cause I had, I was lucky enough to keep an agent like that had a, from the East coast to the West coast. And they're, they're like, oh, they're gonna, um, they're gonna send you the music for your sides when you go in. And they just sent me this sheet of lyrics. And I, I said, oh no, can you send me the music? And then my agent, my LA agent goes, oh, you read music? I was like, "Yeah, I have a musical theory degree. I've done musicals. I've done national tours and stuff." Yes, yeah, send me the music. So that like, that was always a thing. Like, oh, and send me the the actual music. Um, so that that's that was shocking. Yeah, I can imagine. I, that is, I
1: actually had a similar experience too when I moved to LA. That I thought it was. It's like the categorical kind of way we define actors in LA, you know, we don't have as much fluidity. I think in New York, it's really, and you guys would know this more than I do, but um, it just feels like in New York, there's more of an expectation of what an actor can do, like in terms of training and how you show up and all of those things.
0: Yeah. I remember when I first moved to LA and I heard an actor for the first time say, I'm not interested in commercials and I remember thinking, just like you said, Marita, kind of like, I didn't know we were allowed to say such things, you know? <laughs> I, I thought like, you do what you're told to do. That that was that was my understanding of, of what it was to be an actor. But I love that. Um, Cause you're right, that is sort of a, I, I think that's still true today that, that New York is more of a hodgepodge in terms of, um, you know, there's there's not probably as much work in film and TV, so you you kind of have to do everything there in a different way than you do in Los Angeles. That's a that's a that's a great distinction. Um, I do think it's changing, though. Yeah, I think it's changing. Here. Yeah, I do too. I do too. Yeah, um, yeah. I'd love to talk a little about um, something that you do that is always just so. Uh, you know, uh, I'm just always so. I have so much admiration for actors or anybody that does stand up, but especially actors who do stand up. Um cuz you know, if you're an actor who does stand up it means you're not that's not your main thing. You know, you're not like Seinfeld who just decided they were going to be a stand up and that was but you're an actor who's doing it. Um it just seems so terrifying to me and yet um people like you are good at it. I I just love to hear like <laughs> how you um, you know came to do that and has it been helpful? has it been fun? what's, you know, tell us about your stand up. Um well, I grew up watching stand up a lot.
2: My parents didn't seem to understand, I think like many parents. Like Back in the 70s and 80s, they didn't really understand that like, there wasn't specifically that much children's programming. So if they, something was funny, they thought that was appropriate. Uh-huh. Um, and they would take us They would take us to see shows in Atlantic City. So I watched um, Joan Rivers and Gary Shanling and Rodney Dangerfield and um, all of these people wow. doing stand-up comedy. And it just seemed like so much fun to me and again like you were saying like i didn't know we weren't allowed like i thought we were supposed (laughs) to try all of these things and be able to do all of them and and then i just noticed that i was like oh maybe there is something to this funny thing because that's the reason i'm getting stuff even in dramatic stuff i get the punchline um and so i was just so drawn to it and um and I remember someone was handing out like flyers in Times Square. And I was like running around going to dance classes at like Steps and Broadway Dance. And and someone handed this thing for like a stand up class um, at the American Comedy Institute. And then you would get to go up at Caroline's in New York at the end of the class. So I took that class. Oh. And I don't think they should have let us go up at <laughs> <to> Caroline's. <laughs> but we did. and. Um, It it wasn't quite Mrs. Maisel, like not like, but I did get a few laughs, (laughs) and that was enough that I thought, oh, okay, there's something to this, right? Yeah, and then when I moved to LA, um, I started doing the comedy store and um, the Laugh Factory, and it was just a nice way to fill in because there weren't. Even when I moved to l a it wasn't like, "Oh, there's all this work in one area. It was like still patching together or something, yeah, so I did all the the clubs in l a and um it was just like another another thing in my bag of tricks.
0: Would you say it's something that appeals to you because it serves your acting career, or would you say it's like almost a separate thing that you love to do or both, maybe?
2: Well, it's a little bit god complex because <laughs> when you're up there and and you guys both have done theater there's something so uh, palpable and you when you have them <laughs> and you're like yes i have you, <laughs> you feel so strong and then and then when they laugh it's like oh uh, you just it, it's immediately satisfying there's not like oh do i get the part like no i got the laugh mm-hmm. i got it and then this was even another level to it. When I would look out and I'm like, okay, the guys are laughing, but are the women going to laugh? Because the women aren't going to give me a laugh an easy laugh. They're going to laugh for real. Cuz we're talking to each other. If I could make them laugh, then I thought, okay, now this is really something. This is it and and also I I it was a little bit of um of a fuck you, can I say that? Probably. 100%. Um, <laughs> totally. <laughs> um because I had heard, and I'm sure you guys had heard too, like women aren't funny. Mm-hmm. So I was like, well, maybe they're not funny to you because you're stupid or or like, <laughs> well, I'm funny and I know lots of funny women and, and women, we all find each other funny. So maybe <laughs> our <are> funny
0: is <laughs> not for you. I don't know.
2: <laughs> it's all felt, it felt kind of feminist.
1: Yeah. And strong. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Well, it is. It's yeah, very yeah. feminist
1: and strong. It's incredible. I mean, I, it be, I'm not in the the comedy. I I can. That sounds like so terrifying. I I can't even imagine. But that is a predominantly male um, part of the industry, isn't it? It's mostly male comics.
2: Oh yeah, yeah. And it 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 was not. Well, I found my pockets of female friendly. Places. Um, Leslie Wolf, who's a casting director, stand-up comic, actress, producer. She she found me pretty early when I moved to L. A. And she had rooms that were just for women and like Natasha Leggero and all these comics. Like Leslie, kind of found us and gave us a place, and we'd have these women, these these women-only. Nights wow. or women comics and then she would always have a few guys on there too because she it was just a way to <laughs> get people to come <laughs> do, when you're writing your
1: stand-up material do you draw from your life primarily or from your experiences as a woman or you know what what sort of informs what you just curious i think that's interesting
2: <laughs> um they're sort of accidents Like if I'm out and I say something and and somebody laughs, then I'll, I would write it down. Mm. Um, I did take some structure classes too. And, um, and they, they said always have like back then, like I have these little tape recorders. Now you just like record into your phone. And then I would write the bits and structure them. and then sometimes I would do them again, using my thing of um, pretending to be somebody else or talking to somebody else. I'm like, well, how would um, Jerry Seinfeld say this? Or how would Ellen DeGeneres say this? Um, and even though I was, I think it was in Michael Shortlift's book, he, he says that like, if you get a role and, and you're replacing somebody, like just do it like your version of them till you figure it out and <laughs> paraphrasing terribly. But it was a little bit like that would stand up too. And it wouldn't come out exactly like that person because I'm not Jerry Seinfeld or uh, or uh, Ellen DeGeneres, um, but that that's sort of a nice in way with it. And then you just sort of throw it up. You find some coffee shop and you do an open mic and see how it plays. And then you rewrite it. And then, and that part is hard. That's a drag, but <laughs> but it can be fun too.
1: It's funny as you're talking. I I'm just thinking um, how different the style of of um, how how women and men um, how the comedy style is so different um, you know and and it's really interesting to hear you talk about finding you know using different voices and then using your own voice within that in your comedy because I think a lot of um, and that and that whole idea too of women not being funny. You know, it's like, wh- what is, what is that? What does funny look like? You know, what is funny? How do we define funny? And there's a very subtle quality of funny that I think many women possess that is different. You know, I'm, I, just, as you're talking, I'm thinking about that because I, I used to get that a lot too. And I, I I've often thought about that in terms of um, women and men, and especially in comedy, the difference between what funny is. Um, and I, I, I'd love to to hear about that a little bit. Um, just, you know, we're in so many, um, so many things are happening in our world right now. Uh, we have a huge Me Too movement. Um, is there anything specific that happened to you in this industry, perhaps in the comedy world, perhaps somewhere else that you can share with us?
0: Um,
1: about comedy or about... Either, either. Just, I mean, we're talking about comedy. That's kind of fascinating if there's something that specific that that you encounter there in terms of being a woman in that industry but whatever comes up in your head
2: um gosh well I guess it takes me back to New York and um there was this manager I don't know if this is directly answering your question, but um, there's this manager that represented all the uh, all the girls in Miss Saigon. And it was when Miss Saigon was big on Broadway. And everyone's like, oh, you have to be repped by, I don't want to say her name, by this woman who reps everybody in Miss Saigon if you want to do Broadway or regional theater or whatever. And me and this girlfriend of mine, she's um, Australian, Chinese, and Irish. And I'm only saying this because it's relevant to the story. And we met with this woman who I guess had been in the business forever, a Chinese manager, Chinese from Brooklyn or the Bronx. She had a very strong New York accent. And she she, we go to meet with her. And I guess we're going to have tea with her. And, and I, I do not kid you. <laughs> and she had this, like, this guy there answer the door. And he was wearing a kimono. And he was, I guess, practicing to be in the play *M Butterfly. And he was her assistant, and she sat us down, and she had one of those long dragon like like one of those long I don't know what to call them cigarette things. Yeah. And She was smoking this cigarette thing, and she was very small, and she had this low voice, and um, and this boy served us tea, and we sat there, and then um, she said, "Oh, so you want to be an actor?" And I said, "Yeah, I'm an actor already." <laughs> um, what do you think about repping me? And and this was so. I mean, to this day, I think I might cry. She, um, she looked at me, and she said, you need to cut some bangs, change your last name to Wong, stay out of the sun, and lose your black ass.
0: Wow. Oh,
2: my God. And I just sat there like, what? And then she looked at my friend, who was on the he- heavier side, and then she said, you, you're fat. You need to lose weight. And we're going to take pictures of you hiding behind two fans. Wow. And, and that just, I, I mean, that just stopped. I mean, even now, it just stopped my heart. Because it was from somebody who was another person of color saying that to me. And, and to my friend and I, apparently she had headshots of all these other people on the (laughs) wall and she had given a similar assessment to all of these people and that that was the only way you could work. And I still think that's some of the messaging that a lot of people are still facing, whether it's gendered or racial, um, But, but I think there's so much movement forward in changing that. Like with Hamilton and, and, um, and now nobody would ever, I mean, I, well, no, people might still say that. I
0: don't know. What did that, what did that, what kind of effect, what kind of immediate effect did that have on you? I mean, did you, did you know she was, did, were you, were you able in the moment to know what a sort of misguided person she was or did it? Because she was a person of power in your world, did you did you kind of buy into it?
2: My immediate reaction was not polite. Um, I I got really angry, and I just I grabbed my friend and I said, "We're we're leaving," and we left. We just walked out. But then afterwards, oh gosh, I can like feel it in my heart still talking about this. Then afterwards, I we thought about it. And, um, but, but my, I mean, I'm not, um, I'm, I'm like, like people are fight or flight, I'm fight.
0: <laughs> and, mm-hmm.
2: then, and then I, then I calm down and think about everything, mm-hmm. but yeah. But then it, it was fueled to the fire to be like, no, fuck you. I'm going to go and and do these other things. And, oh yeah. She also told me I was too tall. So everything that you or you're
0: like too to everything
2: or not enough.
0: Wow. Wow, I it, it's
2: it's
1: hard to even say something after hearing a story like that. yeah, I'm, oh yeah, not funny, no. <laughs> not <laughs> funny, no. Sorry. but it no, it, you know, I will say you know um, for a little bit of a a fuck you to that woman because you did you actually did perform in Miss Saigon, so you yeah. know yeah, so that's kind of <laughs> cool, but I I. I really appreciate you telling us this story because I think, um, I think a lot of, a lot of actors specifically, you know, um, um, actors of color are, have experienced many, 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 many stories, um, that are are beginning to come out and, and not just stories that are, you know, are BIPOC actors, not just stories, you know, um, Uh, In the industry, but also in their education, you know, in in seeing themselves in roles and knowing that they can do that and um, that they can be who they are in that role. And and that is, I think, a great fear that I've heard many actors talk about and um, students of mine talk about in terms of, you know, how I need to change myself to fit this idea of what this particular um, person is supposed to look like, whatever that stereotype of what that, you know, um, uh, uh, yeah, that I'm trying to think of the right words, like in terms, like what you're talking about being in Miss Saigon and needing to cut my hair and, you know, how you were asked to change what you look like when what you look like is fine. And then, and is, in fact, exactly who you are. You are someone who's very ethnically diverse. So that's what you represent,
2: period. Well, it it, it came to light that soon after that, I, a lot of parts I was getting were all because of the things, and even now, that this woman did not like about me. Like, I've gotten parts because I'm taller. Um, I mean, I'm not that tall, I'm 5'7", but for my category or whatever that means, like usually women, I don't know, actresses are usually short, (laughs) five seven is a little tall, Um, but that's, it's all changing. And I would say to the people that are wanting to do this and not seeing themselves yet, that it is, you have to have a little bit of that, knowing that going into this, that you're gonna redefine and change people's expectations and be sort of refreshing like, you know what, we don't, we all don't have to be a size two or a size zero and, and we all don't have to, you know, be so rigid. It, it I enjoy seeing stories about things and people I know nothing about.
1: I, so I think. Oh, sorry. Yeah, no, no, on. keep going. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, no, please. Well, I just, I i, I love what you said about redefining sort of your, your walking into that. But it's a, it's also, I think, a very tall order to ask of people, you know, I and I'm curious for you and your experiences in, in this industry, like how you um, were able to uh, talk to yourself, you know, the things, you know, going back to that, you know, brilliant way in which you wrote the resume, this is a whole other conversation about courage and confidence in who you are and what you represent in yourself and what the possibilities of what you can bring to the industry um, where there's a lot of, where that's not seen in the industry, where, where you, you were asked to change how people look at you and, and to redefine roles. Was there a particular way in which you approached that or you thought about that?
2: I I wish I could say it was, I I had given up and I I still think like, I give up a thousand times and a thousand times more. Like I'm done with this, I'm never doing this again. Like I'm gonna go and I don't know, be a physical therapist. Like I have these (laughs) notions and I'll, I'll put it away for a while with acting. And then I get that thing, like then I'll get an acting job. And I remember one of those times I uh, I got a pilot and I didn't have enough. I had, I got this call from an agent. They're like, you have to make it down to like, like, like the, um, oh gosh, on the West side, on Riverside Drive <laughs> in New York, like make it down to the docks. They're shooting right now. They need to cast this role, go there. And I didn't, I only had enough money to make it one way down there. It was downpour raining and the director, um, of a pilot, Don Carino, who's like a theater and he, he was just so great and I had to just go right on set and he met with me to talk to me and he told me about the scene about this woman hearing that um, her her husband's a cop and his partner comes to tell her he, she, she um, he has to come to the door and you you just get the shot of her seeing her husband's uh, partner come to the door and she knows her husband's dead. And we just need you to cry.
0: Mm.
2: And as he was telling me the story, I just started crying (laughs) because I was broke. And because (laughs) because I I knew I was going to have to go home and walk in the rain. (laughs) (laughs) And I was feeling so sad for myself. (laughs) And I started crying. And then he said, you've got the part.
1: Wow.
2: So it's like these little moments and then I walked home in the rain and I was so happy. <laughs> you know, I was like this wet thing and and I was still too tall and I still hadn't cut my bed. <laughs> 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 was really last I was like, Screw you, manager in Midtown. I I booked a pilot. <laughs> um, but I was ready to quit. Like I'm always ready to quit and then something will happen, not necessarily as dramatic as that, but I'll see something or I'll watch something that'll inspire me. So I wish I
0: was more disciplined. No, that's a perfect story. That's a perfect story. Um, I was, I was going to end by asking you what you wish you knew when you were first starting out that you know now, but I feel, I mean, if you have a quick answer for us for that, even though we're, we've gone way over with you, which is very selfish of us, um, give it to us. But I feel like you've given us already so many gems of things you've learned over the years. Um, but I don't know. Do you want to, do you want to add something to it?
2: Oh gosh. Um, get in therapy
0: soon. Oh yes. <laughs> <I guess>. Yes. <laughs> so true so true especially if you come from a family where therapy is not i mean you know therapy was not a thing in my family at all and i think the first time somebody said to me go talk to a therapist about that i was like 27 and i just i thought this is the most amazing thing in the whole world to get to sit and talk to somebody who's trained in knowing how to help you so that's i love I love that piece of advice.
1: Before you yeah. ask your last question that yes. I know you're going to oh. ask, I just want to sum up some great tidbits that we got from Marita today. Um, one is whoever inspires you, talk to them. I
0: love that. Figure too. out
1: who that is. Yeah. Um, two is try everything. You might find something that you are surprised at, like comedy. So try it out. I have a different, different energy to. Um, give to the world in that in that respect. Um, three is write your resume, see what it looks like, you know, what you want it to look like. Your dream resume. Credits, your dream resume mm. um, and find a speech that inspires you, something that can pick you up after a, a difficult day. Um, and, and the last one, which I think was uh, so beautifully said, is in those moments where you feel like I have to keep going and I must be part of this change in this world, in this industry. Um, And I want to give up. Um, Be surprised at those little moments along the way in which you book the role that you weren't expecting and you book it as your beautiful self. That was really good.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's all you. You said it. You said it all. That was you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm taking
1: that from you. (laughs) Your inspiration.
0: Marita, I don't want to put you on the spot, but can you can you um, share with us something that you have noticed is unique to LA, which as as I think you know, we call an LAism, um, something that we, you know maybe we only do here or we mostly do here that is not as much or say or whatever.
2: I I feel like ooh, I was trying to think of a way to say this. Um, there's there's this like, there's certain L.A. uniforms that everybody wears that never change with time or how old or how young you are. Mm-hmm. Like everybody wears flip flops, a tank top, and and shorts, like <laughs> shorts, like like kids, like
0: moms,
2: grandma men, like everyone just wears that. And that's really not appropriate anywhere
1: <laughs> That's so true.
2: <laughs> like even even in Hawaii, like, but people wear like, muumus, like there's like some variation. Right. <laughs> here I feel like there's no variation. And then also whatever season it is, because it does get a little cold here, people will still be wearing that. So true. So,
1: so
0: true. That is very true. Yeah. And even when you're like, shouldn't be wearing that anymore. <laughs> I, <laughs> like, think, I, I love that you're saying that too for people who are maybe thinking about moving to LA because <laughs> you really don't need much. You know, if somebody said like, yeah. you, you got to have a good suit, you really don't have to have a good suit in LA. <laughs> like, you know, no. Yeah. Just for auditions, yeah. like not in life. Right. Maybe, maybe for an audition. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's a good. That's a very good LAism. There is a uniform of LA. Yeah, um, that is a very simple flip floppy uniform. That's yeah. perfect. I love that. Yeah, no, it's that. like
2: no, no fashion. No, no fashion. Right. That's the
1: only right. yeah, <laughs> D- different <laughs> kinds of flip flops.
0: <laughs> yes. yes. um Thank, thank you, Marina. You. Thanks for being with us today. Oh,
2: thanks for having me. I I love you guys, and I love your podcast. It's so good, and um, I've just I've been enjoying it so much. So please keep doing it. Thank you.
0: Well, thanks thank for you. that.
1: We love you, and we're so happy you are a guest.
2: So
0: thank yeah. You. You know, thanks. <laughs> thanks, guys. Uh-uh. Thanks so much for listening to Speak LA, the podcast. We want to be able to bring you more episodes like this one, but we can only do that with your support. So please take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe to Speak LA, the podcast. For more information on Speak LA, go to ispeakla.com.
1: This episode of Speak LA, the podcast was sponsored by Actors Connection. Actors Connection offers free resources, including valuable online programs. For more information, go to ActorsConnection.com and sign up for their e-blast today.
0: Our sound engineer is the very talented Dan Leonard of HomeVoiceOverStudio.com. My name is Jen Jostin. And I'm Camille Thornton-Alson, and we
1: are the founders of Speak LA. Find us at ispeakla.com. See you next time.